Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Welcome to it, the Corner 3. I am Austin Norman. You hear me during On the Block from 2 to 4 Central Time here on 93.7. The Ticket, theticketfm.com. Uh, hopefully you're watching on one of our live streams, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, or Twitter, as well as an Allo channel 951 for our Allo subscribers. Really appreciate Allo and everything they do to make sure our streams run well. Um, you know, bring you a TV channel. Not many radio stations can say that. We appreciate them for that. Um, don't forget, also, we have an app for your phone. Download it. It's free. It's the probably simplest, most consistent way to get our content. You open the app up, you watch a 30-second ad, and boom, you're connected to all your 93.7 The Ticket content that you need. You can catch uh, the podcast and everything on there as well. 402-464-5685, text line. I want your involvement tonight. Uh, winners and losers of realignment in college basketball specifically. We've talked about it a lot from the football aspect of things, but men's basketball, women's basketball, both have been affected by conference realignment as well. Uh, Once Matt and Landon hop on, we'll get their takes on just a few winners and losers of realignment, but really just dating back over the last 10, 15 years or so. uh, That's the the arbitrary endpoint because the new Big East, which will come up multiple times in this show, its first year was 2013. So you can go back to, you know, 2010, 2011, anywhere in there. Um, but yeah, last 10, 15 years of college basketball realignment, who are your winners and losers? Let us know, 402-464-5685, and we'll uh, get your thoughts on the show in our next segment. Before we get into all that, though, um, some sad news just breaking out of uh, the University of Houston. Reggie Cheney, a forward out of the University of Houston, uh, passed away uh, today. Uh, at age 23, no cause of death uh, given right now, not much reporting around it. Uh, Cheney has played for Houston for the last three seasons. He was a junior on the Houston team in 2021 that made it to the Final Four. He started his career at Arkansas, played 63 games for the Razorbacks, um, blossomed into a nice player for Calvin Sampson in Houston, only started one game of the 35 he played last year, uh, only started 24 games total over his three years at Houston, but parlayed his work into the 2022-23 American Sixth Man of the Year Award. Uh, averaged three points and three rebounds per game. Uh, was set to play professionally uh, with the team in Athens, Greece. Um, but yeah, uh, reportedly passed away today at age 23. So uh, keep keep the Houston basketball family in your thoughts and prayers. Reggie Cheney again passes away at age 23. We go to a team that used to share the American Athletic Conference with Houston, and that's UConn. I'm going to give you the background this segment. Uh, We can dive into this more when Matt and Landon hop on. Um, UConn and Gonzaga, two teams that have really been thrown about as it relates to conference realignment. Would they be better off in the Big East? Would they be better off staying put? Uh, CBS Sports, Matt Norlander was the one that wrote about this. And this is a a fascinating subject because these are two of the bigger names in college basketball. Gonzaga hasn't gotten over uh, the championship title hump like UConn did uh, last season for the fifth time. But we're going to start with the Huskies. 
Of course, they're they're in the Big East. They're a big stable member of the Big East, basketball capital of the world and all that. But they make the jump to the American Athletic Conference for a handful of years for football. Again, UConn football is really what dictated the jump from the old, the classic Big East into the American Athletic Conference. UConn makes that move and really wanders in the wilderness. Again, I am completely on board the the bandwagon that says UConn is not a basketball blue blood. It's close. It's probably a new blood. It's in that conversation. But if you look at the years in the American, so from 2013-14 through 2019-20, its first year in the American, uh, of course, uh, they win the national championship. They go 32-8 and in Kevin Ollie's second year. Uh, they win it all. They only qualify for the NCAA tournament one other time. Well, a member of the American Athletic Conference. They win 20 games, 25 games to make that NCAA tournament. Then they win 16 games, 14 games, 16 games. Uh, get to the fringe, the bubble conversation in Dan Hurley's second year going 19 and 12. But that's a big departure from what Jim Calhoun was doing. If you look at Jim Calhoun, the, the last time that he won fewer than 20 games, it would have been 2009-2010. It happened in 2006-2007, and then all the way back in 96-97. Jim Calhoun built UConn up into a power program in the Big East, a conference that UConn had been a part of since its founding in uh, 1979 and 1980 was that first season there. Um, UConn just always felt like a Big East team, right? A part of that corridor, that group up there in the Northeast. They leave, they chase football, and they, they don't really go down the crapper. They were never bad, but they were just average, mediocre. And for a basketball school, especially compared to, you know, what the women were doing, maintaining their winning ways, even with the move to the American, the men's program was just lost in the wilderness. They moved back to the Big East, kind of tail between their legs in 2020, 2021. And it's paid almost immediate dividends. They've made three straight NCAA tournaments under Dan Hurley. Uh, The shortened year, uh, they... Uh, lost in the first round. Lost in the first round again in 21-22 before making a run all the way to the tournament championship this latest season. And that to me, and kind of what Norlander says as well in his article on CBS Sports, is UConn has to remember what it's about. A jump to the Big 12 for UConn would again most likely be dictated by football. A football program that hasn't been good. I mean, Jim Mora Jr. I think is a solid coach, but UConn football as much as the money is there, can't be driving the decisions for an institution whose identity is so focused around basketball on both the men's side and the women's side. Big 12 women's basketball is great as well. I don't think the UConn women would have any struggle to adapt to it. And again, I think the men would be competitive, but at what cost, right? The Big East is plenty competitive enough. It's focused around what UConn wants to be as a basketball school. If you look at that group of currently 11 teams in the conference, What's the reason for UConn to jump? They tried it with the American. It wouldn't really make any sense for UConn to join the Big 12. Again, from a fan perspective, UConn against all those Big 12 teams, it would be fantastic entertainment. But from an institutional identity standpoint, it makes no sense for UConn to jump uh, from the Big East to the Big 12. you, You throw the same travel concerns in there and all of that. Gonzaga, to me is the more interesting case. I know I just spent a lot of time on UConn, but I think the the institution with the choice is Gonzaga. Gonzaga, of course, runs the West Coast Conference, as they have for 
what really feels like my whole lifetime, the Zags under Mark Few, really. Um, you know, one of the premier West Coast powers. We, we noted never won a championship. I get it. The only year they missed the tournament under Mark Few so far would have been the year it was canceled, the 2019-20 tournament that ends up getting canceled. Mark Few hasn't won fewer than 20 games his entire time at Gonzaga. The fewest wins I'm seeing for him is 23 wins in a season. That's insane. More often than not, they're winning 30. And I get it. It's the West Coast Conference. Not exactly murderer's row. Love St. Mary's. Love BYU before they jump. San Francisco pops up time to time. Santa Clara, whatever. But that's really been Gonzaga's conference. They also have a good deal. And Norlander points this out again in his article. Gonzaga's deal with the West Coast Conference for TV, it's tiered, right? We've heard about that a little bit with the ACC, what that would look like for different teams with unequal revenue sharing. Gonzaga has that. They're the one qualifying for the NCAA tournament the most. They get the biggest kickback from the TV deal. Gonzaga's explored leaving the West Coast Conference multiple times. I'm sure that's always going to be on the table. I mean, Mark Fuse looked into it, but we know what Gonzaga is as a program, right? It is competitive, at the highest level. They got stomped by Baylor in their national title game appearance, also lost to North Carolina, uh, and Carolina won one of its titles. We know that Gonzaga can compete against the best. The only reason, the only reason Gonzaga would go to the Big 12 would be to follow some more of that money, but Gonzaga wouldn't be a football member, right? It would probably be a baseball and basketball only member, and I don't know what that revenue split would be like, if it would be worth it for Gonzaga I get it. You add Arizona, you add Arizona State, even Colorado to some degree to add a a West Coast sort of wing to the Big 12. But like I talked about with UConn, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me for Gonzaga to give up running the West Coast Conference to go to the Big 12. Again, from a fan perspective, it would be fun, right, to see the Zags tested against even more high major competition. I'd be here for it as a fan. But when you look at the logistics of travel, of the TV network, the deals, they might not be a full member for a while. Why would you give up your perch after you spent this long building respect, proving that you can compete with the big boys, that you're not Cinderella, that you don't have to measure yourself by that glass slipper anymore? It just doesn't make sense, I think, for either of these teams. So if you ask me, it makes perfect sense for UConn to stay put. It makes just as much, if not more sense for Gonzaga to stay put. Will they move in the future? Only time will tell. Gonzaga, I think, would be more likely to move than UConn would, but we'll keep monitoring that. Matt Landon, our chomping at the bit, ready to go to talk about this and more. We'll talk some more conference realignment and a little bit of a a life update from Landon. We'll get into that as we continue the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. We're back here on the Corner 3, joined by the fellas, Matt and Landon. Hope you guys have had a good week. Landon, it's probably been busier for you than it has the rest of us. We we were waiting for this news to break. We couldn't share it. It's yours to share. Let me just say congratulations. Tell the people what's up. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I am coming to you live from Cedar Falls, Iowa, in my new swanky apartment. Uh, I uh, accepted a job a couple of weeks ago, but started uh, a job today as an athletic communications assistant for the University of Northern Iowa. 
huzzah, uh, go Panthers. Uh, I'm eventually going to be working my way up to being the primary uh, media relations guy for their women's soccer and softball programs, but I'm also going to be anticipating uh, helping out, you know, across the board. Uh, I'm super grateful. I've had a lot of great, you know, coworkers, friends, family that have helped me get to this point. Um, it's pretty surreal to be in August and not starting school uh, and doing a, you know, having a big boy job now, uh, but it's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm really excited to get to work at UNI. I'm here, you know, in Cedar Falls. So it's great. Uh, fun times all around. But yeah, this week has been crazy. Today's been crazy. I started work today. Uh, and I'm also really appreciative, uh, more pressing to the show, um, that my boss was cool with me continuing to come on and do this still because that one of the best parts of my week, um, for sure, is coming on and uh, talking shop with the fellas. So I'm very, very appreciative, not only for the job opportunity, but also to still be able to come on here and talk, you know, college hoops once a week. So I'm really excited to, you know, hit the ground running and get to work here as we uh, as the weeks and months go by. So whether you like it or not, you're our Missouri Valley insider now. So anything that's going on with like Coach Jacobson and that program, you're expected to have the inside scoop. No pressure. Absolutely. Well, uh, inside scoop might lead me <laughs> to losing my job, but I, I, I do, I am going to have much better insight now. You know, I love the Missouri Valley conference. It's, you know, a, a group favorite, I would say between the three of us, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, Arch Madness, the Valley, all of that fun stuff. So I'm really excited to, you know, be around that conference, uh, be around that conference more for sure. And another reason for us to root against Bradley. So yes, I'm excited for that. <laughs> Who, ha- uh, who hates Bradley or who hates journalists more, Bradley or that paper that was running an AI to uh, do its high school soccer recaps? I, I am not allowed to comment publicly on <laughs> the potential use of AI for uh, high school recaps. That is in the as a prep sports writer, that is a very hot topic, hot button topic right now. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. It's. <laughs> They're not the first, and it's not the last, and no one seems to be happy about it. Fair enough. Well, I let off the show by talking about UConn and Gonzaga. I sent you guys that article by uh, Matt Norlander of CBS Sports. Matt, we'll start with you, and we'll start with UConn. They just won a title in the Big East. They moved back after seven years in the wilderness. I think the right move is for UConn to stay in the Big East, not really explore the ACC or the Big 12 at all like uh, Brett Yormark would want. Where do you stand with UConn? Yeah, I think, I mean, they worked very hard to get back into the Big East. And it's kind of crazy that all of a sudden they're, okay, well, let's go look at joining this other conference that makes just no sense. I mean, the East Coast, especially like the the Northeast, there's that's like the one part of the country that the Big 12 hasn't landed a fish from yet in this round of expansion. So I get why they would want UConn, but... I don't know. I still feel like that program's kind of in a volatile phase where, I mean, we saw what happened when Jim Calhoun left. Kevin Holly had a couple good years and then it just went in the tank. And that it's taken a while for that program to get back to being respectable. And if you mess with their ecosystem and put them into a conference where, you know, you're not just culturally, you're not going to be one of the most important teams in that conference. And it's going to be a little harder to recruit to a national conference compared to Big East. I think they were smart to, you know, choose stability in this case because, you know, they're still not a 
not at a point where, you know, just any coach can come in and win at UConn. We've seen that it can go sour there. Landon, would you like UConn as a member of the Big 12 or keep them away? Well, I would love UConn as a member of the Big 12 for the overall betterment of the conference. But Matt um, brought up a point, Austin, that I was kind of waiting for you to touch on there in the open. Uh, And Norlander, I, I went back in here to the article to find the quote, but he put it pretty bluntly. UConn lost a generation of fans uh, when it made that move to the American conference as brief as it, you know, in the landscape of, you know, realignment in college athletics now as brief as it was um, that really did impact some people, you know, those American, those American conference games, your, your competition is farther away from the market you need to be about Um, part of the allure of the big East is having that, Hole in New York City by the you know every March when the uh, the conference tournament at the Garden rolls around, having all of those ties to the Northeast, so many great basketball states and towns up in the Northeast, it lost its way. And I think the biggest you know central argument in all of this is that even as realignment gets crazy, there still are lanes and opportunities for schools and programs to take a step back, breathe, and remember what you're about. It can be really really difficult. Because things seem like they're moving at a million miles an hour right now. But especially in UConn's case, like, they don't need the Big 12 to continue being UConn. They're yeah. a competitive mm-hmm. conference. They have all, they can, you know, they're easily accessible to New York City. In order for them to continually, to continue to be that brand, they don't, they don't need the Big 12. They they tried, you know, sort of rebranding and re-identifying themselves in the American. And yes, they did win a championship, but it, I mean, they went back to the Big East within, you know, six, seven years. I, I can't remember off the top of my head how long their foray in the American, how long it actually lasted. But they had to, you know, sort of come crawling back to the Big East because the basket, the you know, it just wasn't as successful for their brand and their brand recognition. So, I mean... Obviously, yes. I would love all these schools in the Big 12. It would make it awesome. Uh, Brett Yormark has been really, really cool and innovative as a commissioner. He's done a lot of cool stuff. Um, the East Coast thing is something that he is trying to work really hard on. They did a little like pop-up activation sort of deal in Rucker Park mm-hmm. this summer uh, as part of you know the continual coast-to-coast um, sort of vibe that he's trying to go for and really expand the Big 12's foothold, which is awesome. And it is, you know, as we've seen on the other side of things like the Pac-12, it's really nice that the Big 12 has someone that's super progressive and willing to try to kind of push the conference out of its comfort zone a little bit. Um, And obviously adding UConn and Gonzaga would be great um, for helping the Big 12's brand. I mean, and I'll get to it with Gonzaga a little bit later, but I, you know, I don't think UConn needs the Big 12 to continue being UConn. So, and honestly, I think, uh, a couple things just going off a uh, uh, Landon's point here. One, when UConn did win that title in 2014, I mean, that was the American was a completely different conference. They still had defending national champion Louisville in it. Mm-hmm. Rutgers was terrible, but they were still in it. Like there was Cincinnati had Mick Cronin. It was a complete different bear of a conference back then compared to what it kind of devolved into. But also, I think of like the Big Twelve. There's probably programs on the East Coast worth uh, worth expanding to for the Big Twelve. But I feel like I don't know. And UConn, I get why they wanted UConn because technically they're in the they're an East Coast team, but they're not one of the Catholic schools like 
every other Big East program. Mm-hmm. But like, I almost wonder if the Big Twelve would be better off, you know, betting on Temple to to kind of continue to grow and embrace like the Philly role and just another like big market team or like I don't know, wait until the ACC kind of devolves and poach one of those East Coast teams because it just feels like UConn. I don't know when I think I Big Twelve, you think of teams like West Virginia and Iowa State, like UConn. UConn doesn't fit that mold as much as like maybe a Syracuse, Pitt, or Temple per se. Or yeah. Virginia Tech or Louisville. <laughs> yeah, but that's not as like that's not the market I feel like they were kind of aiming for there. Maybe Virginia Tech. That does make a lot of sense, honestly, especially from a football standpoint. Yeah. Let's let's flip it over to the West Coast because we got winners and losers to get to. Gonzaga. This is the one I think where movement is more likely but I wouldn't necessarily bank on it. I think Gonzaga, for the most part, again, we talk about that institutional identity, really has something cooking in the WCC, right? Like, like I said in the last segment, they're not measured by the glass slipper anymore, trying to see if it fits. We take Gonzaga, well, relatively seriously. I mean, they got to win a title eventually, but we, we know Gonzaga's good. They don't have anything left to prove. So then it becomes how much money, I think, do they get? I mean, they have the tiered deal with the WCC, would Big 12 money as a basketball and probably baseball member, would that be enough to cover what they're getting right now? Landon, we'll start with you. Well, yes, but I do think that there's something to be said about what Brett Yormark said, uh, and I think it was a podcast that Norlander ultimately transcribed um, and used as the large you know, basis in sourcing for this article. I think the Big 12 kind of might just be set at 16 teams right now. Um it, Adding, first of all, I I feel like I saw more about the Big 12 trying to court UConn than I did about Gonzaga until this sort of article came about. And it's funny because, at least within UConn, these articles and rumors had been floating around in like June and July. It seems like uh, Yormark was having some meetings. I don't remember dates off the top of my head, but I know for a fact that this was going on a couple of months ago. And then the Big 12 makes this push and, and lands Colorado – Utah, Arizona State, and Arizona in quick succession, and all of a sudden it's all acquired on, on on both of those fronts, and they drop out. I think that the Big 12 is set, but, I mean, it's difficult to me for me to imagine a Power 5 football conference like the Big 12 taking in a basketball and baseball-only member. It's kind of rare ground, especially in not in college athletics in general, because it happens all across the board, Mm -hmm. but in those power conferences, I feel like it's just not something you see as much. It's like just Um, Notre Dame. Yeah, it literally is just Notre Dame. And the other thing about Gonzaga too, is that, I don't know. I mean, it kind of has a good thing going in the WCC, at least for right now. It's in a position to wait. I think right now, Gonzaga has tons of schedule flexibility. They've got a lot of big name programs that they are playing and will play. They have a really good non-conference schedule. The the whole, Oh, Gonzaga doesn't play anybody. It's such a washed and and hackneyed take. Like Mark few is scheduling very, very difficult non-conference games Uh, in the WCC. Yeah. I mean, they aren't pushed as much. 
but they've got the brain, the brand name recognition. They have the difficult out of conference schedule, uh, and that's enough for them to be a consistently top 15 or top 20 program most years. And most years they're even higher than that top 10, top five. So from a basketball perspective, I think Gonzaga really is in a position to wait and see what transpires. We talked about this, gosh, was it just last week about um, the Mountain West? We talked a lot about the Mountain West and how strong of a conference that is. They, in all of this realignment mess, are in a great position to just sort of stand pat and, you know, see what happens after this big, you know, catastrophic realignment. And that might be a great move for Gonzaga. We talked about how the WCC is getting weak. BYU leaving certainly eliminates some more quality games for Gonzaga. I mean... The Big 12 certainly is one possibility, but they've been floated to the Big East for forever as well. And yeah, I mean, it would be a conversation with how, you know, progressive Brett Yormack is being. Maybe there's a world in which he decides that bringing Gonzaga on would be a profitable endeavor. You'd get that market in Seattle too, which is a very, you know, Seattle area at least, which is a very, uh, you know, big time market in a big time city, especially for hoops. But Gonzaga, I feel like, can also wait and see, too. I also sort of feel like the that Gonzaga doesn't really need the Big 12 to be the best version of itself either. So it's a very difficult endeavor and a very difficult decision. Yeah, Ed, Gonzaga's in a weird spot because it seemed like, I don't know, up until, honestly, a few months ago, it was kind of expected, like, okay, yeah, Gonzaga and San Diego State are just going to go to the Pac-12. Like, this has been in the works for a while. And then the Pac-12 just imploded all over itself. And I don't know. I think the Big 12 makes a lot of sense for Gonzaga, but you're almost creating a super league at that point. Like, at a certain point, like, do we really need another top 10 program in the Big 12 along with, you know, Kansas and Houston? Like, and I'm sure I'm forgetting others. Those are just the two that come to mind right now. Baylor. Zona. Yeah. So it's like, do we do we really need? Uh, yeah, I guess Texas is leaving, but I don't know if that was really necessary. And yeah, I think they'd be smart to just kind of see how this West Coast mayhem plays out. Uh, there is kind of a precedent for you know basketball only members. If you look at early, like late two thousands, early twenty tens, Big East, half of that conference was basketball only, and mm-hmm. the football product suffered. And it's a little different when you have half of the conference. I mean, Villanova has a football team. It's just not a FBS level one. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple other teams do as well, but it would make sense for them. But I think they're smart to just kind of wait. And why, why don't they see how the big 12 does too? Like, let's, let's see how this conference turns out in the first few years, like without Texas and Oklahoma as well. Like there's a lot of excitement there, but I mean, are things going to stay this way for the next four or five years with, you know, where these programs are at? So that's where I want to throw this out to you guys. And I'm I don't remember which one you brought up. Now, the Gonzaga to the Big East rumors, but that is what I'm absolutely on board with. But here's how this would work, right? With the, the current Big East right now sitting at 11 teams, you add the Zags that 12. That's 12. You don't really need Philly, but if you're going to bring in a big boy, why not bring in like St. Joe's? Right, you know, a smaller school that fits with Villanova, keep that going. In that case, you're bringing St. Mary's with Gonzaga, so you're up to 14, which is an okay number. We've seen the Big Ten run it, but if you want to get to around 16, that's where you're really picking between Loyola Marymount, 
Santa Clara, and San Francisco. I know Iona and St. Peter's are there. I just think they're too small. I don't think they have enough of that, that history tradition that you would go for. But I have been on board the Gonzaga to the Big East train for a long time as a you know basketball-first conference, basketball-focused conference, at a St. Mary's, maybe another travel partner or two. Or here's my absolutely harebrained idea. Tell me how crazy I am after this. Gonzaga, St. Mary's, Grand Canyon, and Liberty. Still faith-based, just different denominations. You know, spread out a little bit more. I think that's a really fun basketball conference. Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, yeah. I love that idea. Although, like, culturally, uh, Grand Canyon and Liberty would... uh, (laughs) They would stick out more than Nebraska did during the pandemic in the Big Ten. They would. Uh, My goodness, that would be fun, and it would probably be awesome for both Liberty and Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is an interesting team that I feel like we're kind of forgetting about in all the realignment talk. I wonder if they've got to move up their sleeves to, like, the Mountain West or something. Yeah, I I, I do second that because – it's a newer program, but there is a lot of money coming into that university, and it's a super passionate basketball fan base. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grand Canyon consistently has really good attendance at its home games. They have tons of, like, a really, really good student section, and those environments seem like a great place to play basketball, and they harbored uh, Yvonne for a few years, uh, the great – I was going to say, they also have Yvonne. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean that 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 is a school though. As as this shakes out, and you mentioned St. Joe's, uh, which would be an interesting proposition for the Big East to consider, especially in the college basketball landscape. I feel like it's been too quiet on the mid-major front as far as like schools potentially equipped to make a jump up. And maybe you know, honestly, we could talk about that for a whole show. I feel mm-hmm. like, but GCU is a really really interesting one to keep an eye on. GCU is in and, a similar boat to like Bellarmine. That's another school I kind of tossed around as they jump up from D2 yeah. to D1. They won the ASUN tournament, but they're still in that probationary period. So I think Bellarmine's in that conversation. GCU's in that conversation. GCU's in, I think GCU's in an interesting spot because now I don't think, I mean, when they came into D1, they were a, the only for-profit university in like division one NCAA mm-hmm. and there was a lot of stigma around that and like pack 12 teams refused to play them. Mm-hmm. Like it got to that point. I think of course the only team I can remember really playing grand Canyon in those first couple of years was Rick Pitino and Louisville going out to yep. <laughs> uh, going out to Arizona and saying that was like the best environment he'd ever coached in. So I, that one, Bellarmine's another one I kind of forgot about. I mean, they play in freedom hall, Louisville's old stopping grounds. They're a little bit smaller of a school, I think, than the other ones they are. brought up. But that's a that's another good one to to keep an eye on there because they they are not fun to play. <laughs> yeah, and Liberty's definitely, I think, sort of a sleeping giant too. That's another really good basketball program. Uh, they're they're a pretty consistent winner. They've been in postseason play in the last couple of seasons uh, at mm-hmm. least. Um, so that's another school. I mean, independent for football, but a well-followed program. That's another one to really monitor as well. That's a school that I could see making a jump up. I don't know where because it's a little bit tricky location-wise. But Both of them would kind of make sense in the A-10, honestly. If I don't know if like VCU sure. or someone else gets poached. Like I could see both Bellarmine and, and uh, Liberty, you know, 
actually finding a lot of success in that in that league. I like it. We got about 10, 15 minutes left here in this segment of the Corner 3. I'm Austin Norman, joined by Landon Wirt and Matt Hardesty, as I am every week here from 7 to 8 on 93.7 The Ticket. Uh, I had you guys pick three winners and three losers of conference realignment over the last 10, 15 years. Let's lop our bottom one off and go through just our top two winners and our top two losers. I'm going to get us started with the losers. I think that's more fun. We can go through the winners pretty quickly. My biggest losers in conference realignment of the last 10, 15 years, for men's college basketball specifically, are the Big Ten and the ACC. We did our conference rankings last week, and we were all kind of down. I mean, Matt, you had the Big Ten at two, but you weren't sure about it. The Big Ten has added zero impact programs. They're about to get one in UCLA, but that's it. Between Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland hasn't done as much as their basketball history suggests. Um... Oregon, Washington, USC don't move the championship needle. And that's what the Big Ten's missing right now is championship pedigree. So they're a loser. And then the ACC, it really seemed like a winner. You add Louisville, you add Syracuse, you add Pitt. Like, that's huge. That's huge for the brand. A good basketball conference should have only gotten better. Pitt had one good year last year. Louisville was good when it came in, has really fallen under tough times. Syracuse has been very Syracuse. It's never felt like they've fit in the ACC. And because those schools are sliding and you're relying on Miami's and Virginia's to pick up the slack, the ACC just doesn't stand in that tier that it used to among, you know, power basketball conferences. So I think those two conferences are the biggest losers of the last 15 years of realignment. Yeah, okay. I went in a completely different direction with this and took teams that were the biggest Perfect. winners and losers. Perfect. Uh, I don't know. I think one that comes to mind for me for biggest losers was Wichita State leaving the Missouri Valley mm-hmm. for the AAC. Uh, it just feels like they were a team that, you know, they they had a lot of good regional rivalries and yeah, they could use an uptick in competition, but it's just not working so far in there. And we'll see if I think Pat Mills. Paul Mills. That, Paul Mills. Paul yeah. Mills. I was like, Pat Mills was the Spurs guy. Um, <laughs> we'll see if he, uh, if he changes that. But for now, that's, that's the one that comes to mind for me. And then uh, another one I would say is honestly BYU up until this move to the big 12. I think they were kind of a, a loser of realignment. You know, they had the Jimmer years with uh, in the Mountain West at the end there. But when they moved to the West Coast Conference, they kind of went from, you know, playing UNLV, Utah, all these other, you know, respectable teams, San Diego State, to pretty much their season turned into two games against St. Mary's and two games against Gonzaga. And if they didn't win those, which most of the times they didn't beat Gonzaga at least, like they kind of had to play perfect. And that was, you know, asking a lot from them and, I don't know. I feel like they they missed out on a lot by just, you know, handcuffing themselves to this league. So those would be my two biggest losers. Yeah, Wichita State is a really good one. That was one I was pondering, too. I kind of went with a more general theme here just to it's low hanging fruit right now. But I am so upset about the demise of the Pac-12 still. It hasn't really uh, hasn't really at home. But not only that, just West Coast basketball as a whole. Uh, I feel like we're really going to lose a lot of what makes, you know, college basketball so unique with these West Coast teams playing one another. We talked about it a little a few weeks ago, but the Pac-12 had a really nice thing going schedule-wise, too. I know I've brought it up a few times on this show, but, you know, the 
wear and tear on these student athletes, especially in men's and women's basketball, you know, what we're centering around is really, really real. Like the Pac-12 had a really good thing going with its travel, those Thursday, Sunday windows. Um, they spread it out really well. And now I feel like it's kind of all about to go haywire with these schools, you know, making long Eastern trips to play these games. Um, and it just like is really, really unfortunate. And like, mm-hmm. there's no better example of like PAC 12 incompetence under Larry Scott and all of the chancellors and the current leadership too, than the fact that the uh, college football team for the PAC 12 most prime for a college football r- playoff run USC is playing at nine 45 on the PAC 12 network network. Nobody gets on week zero. And that just, if that doesn't sum up, you know, the PAC 12 leadership over the past few years, I really don't know what, does um but it's just a real bummer that like west coast hoops in general is sort of well has, has sort of fallen off um and then for a, a team for me I, I i would say pit low-key um because at least from a basketball perspective those final years in the acc i know you know it kind of lumps in with the acc when being one of the big losers of conference realignment but up until last year really and even then pitt entered as a first four team and went on a little nice run uh getting you know they won a couple ugly games for the NCAA tournament but up until then pitt really has not delivered in the acc um at least from a men's basketball standpoint really like you know, it said it would. Jamie Dixon uh, left sort of early on. They weren't really able to replicate any sort of uh, magic under Kevin Stallings. And now, you know, they had a great season last year, but it also was built on a lot of transfers and old guys. That pit team was older than like, they had an older starting five the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they were a grown man team. Yeah, they were a team of grown men. So, like, yes, it's awesome that Pitt has finally had this good season, but they were old last year. So now I'm really curious to see like how that Pitt team is gonna look and look. And they really haven't delivered the results in the ACC. Uh that you know, when they were originally brought in from the Big East, it's like Pitt was a school with a lot of pedigree. Um, those games when the, when the Oakland Zoo is really rocking, I have vivid oh, memories man. of a lot of Pitt basketball. Mm-hmm. Big uh, Monday. Big Monday, yeah. There wasn't much better. And so it's been a real shame to kind of see that those, um, you know, winning seasons and results haven't really fallen suit. Because, yeah, college basketball is a really, really good place um, when Pitt has a successful team, at least in my opinion. So I would say that, like, West Coast Hoops and then just a team that sticks out for me is Pitt. So. Well, we're on the Big East. This was a, a pseudo winner for me. The Big East as a conference, I think, is a big winner. Given where it was, how it fell apart, then to reform with the strength it's been able to, I think that's huge. But just a trip down memory lane for our, our viewers or listeners who might not be familiar. When we refer to the old Big East, like as we were growing up getting into college basketball, we're talking, again, this is by attendance figures, so not standings or anything down the list. Syracuse, Louisville, Marquette, UConn, Georgetown, West Virginia, Pitt, Nova, Cincy, Notre Dame, Providence, St. John's, DePaul, Seton Hall, and throw Rutgers and South Florida in there. Like, that basketball conference, even with no dog in the fight, was one of my absolute favorites to watch. Just slugfest, rock fight, big names, small names, upsets, you name it. I I love the old Big East. It's probably my favorite uh, basketball conference of all time. A, A winner in realignment and the conference for me, I'm going to go with the SEC. Not a whole re- lot of realignment has happened. I mean, I know they add Missouri and A&M, which have been fine here and there, but I think that's exactly the point. We'll see what they look like with Oklahoma and Texas. But to me, 
by not having to worry as much about realignment, scheduling, all that, athletic directors, presidents, chancellors have been able to invest more into basketball. You see Arkansas, you see Alabama, you see Auburn, you see Tennessee all pop up over the last 10 years, really, at different times. I think that's huge for the SEC. Again, Matt, I know you're a Kentucky homer, but I think for the state of college basketball in the SEC, it's probably good that there are more teams around to challenge them, get that investment. It's good for Kentucky. It it is. So I think the SEC has handled the men's basketball side of realignment uh, really well and come out the better for it. And the team that stands out to me, this was an obvious one from the jump, Houston. To build to where they are under Kelvin Sampson, to be able to now stay more local, play more games in the state of Texas, more regionally based against better competition, be the one to take Kansas down after all these years. Everyone's rooting for Houston, or they should be. I think it's huge for them to jump out of the American, make that jump to the Big 12. I think they're in prime position. Yeah, I'd agree with with Houston there. I remember, you know, 15 years ago, end of Tubby Smith's time at Kentucky, Houston was a buy game for them when they were in Conference USA. Mm-hmm. Completely irrelevant. Couldn't even tell you who their coach was. Like, it was like, okay, yeah, we'll throw Houston on as like a Tuesday night game just to fill the schedule. They were that level of team. Kind of like a Charlotte now or something like that. And now they're, I mean, one of the top 10 programs in the country, if not higher. Um, I'd say my three winners, I'd agree as well. I put Villanova as my number one winner from realignment just because with all of the movement in the Big East, they became the top dog and got two national championships out of it and sure. a couple more Final Fours. And we're pretty much a nonstop contender, like one or two seed almost every year for the past decade. And they were kind of not – I mean, they had the Final Four run in 09, I think, before this. But other than that, they're, I mean, they were kind of irrelevant in the old Big East. Like, they were at least an afterthought, I'd say. Like, there was, oh, yeah, Scotty Reynolds, he was fun. Kyle Lowry, he had some good years. But now it's like Villanova turned into a monster with uh, with realignment. Uh, another obvious one, I would say, is Creighton. Uh, you know, going from the, the Missouri Valley to now, I mean, yeah, the media's made a big deal about them making a Sweet 16 and an Elite Eight. But in the conference they're in with the resources they have and the fan base and just the brand, honestly, like they should be expecting like Sweet 16 should they could be a program like with their current setup where the Sweet 16 is kind of like the baseline for expectations. Like and mm-hmm. they should be competing for Final Fours every year. And they were in the past it was like, okay, well, maybe they'll win the Missouri Valley and then get blown out by Duke or Carolina in the second round of the tournament. So I would I would say those two. And honestly, another one I would say, just a real quick one to throw on there was Rutgers in that, I mean, in a weird way, yeah, they were went to a similar caliber league, but it seems like with Steve Pykel, they just, they fit really well in the Big Ten under Steve Pykel where their games feel a lot more meaningful now than when they were in the old Big East. I don't know. That's just kind of a feel what I threw in there. Sure. Yeah, I uh, I also um, had Creighton on there just in the 
similar vein to the old Missouri Valley. They really parlayed that, you know, fame and hype that surrounded the program when Doug McDermott was sort of wrapping up his college career um, in the Missouri Valley and all the attention that he got um, with that Creighton team. And, you know, then they make that move to the Big East and it's been a pretty steady level. And now, you know, that Creighton machine is really about to get rolling again this year after the season they had last year. Um, and, you know, the expectations are heading into this year. I have Cincinnati um, just keeping it Big 12-centric as one. I think um, not right now, but um, Cincinnati's been sort of middling. Um, that's a program, I think, that kind of needed a shot in the arm a little bit. Uh, they, of course, were in that old Big East that we referenced a little bit ago when Austin read out that list. Uh, and they were part of that group of schools that made that jump to the American and they've kind of been sort of stagnant uh, looking back. Yeah. Cincinnati hasn't made the NCAA. This can't, this doesn't seem right, mm. but Cincinnati hasn't made the NCAA tournament since 2018, 2019. Mm -hmm. That's a long time for a program that has experienced a lot of winning and a lot of success. And I think for them to make this move to the big 12, I think that will be a huge, huge boost. Uh, and that's another one like, like Pitt. I just have it in brain, like engraved in my brain that Cincinnati has a good basketball program because basically for my entire childhood and life, the Bearcats have been really good. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think this move to the Big 12 is going to be really, really helpful for them. I know it hasn't paid dividends yet, but I'm sort of kind of staking, staking my flag here and calling my shot that I think that in the grand scheme of things, Cincinnati is going to be a big winner here. And then the other school that jumps out to me is Colorado. Um, they've kind of been on the right end of the sinking Titanic here a couple of different <laughs> instances now. I know it isn't men's basketball specific because a lot of what Colorado does is driven by football. Um, but they hopped off on the Big 12 at the right time. They joined the Pac-12, and now as the Pac-12 sort of started to collapse, they hopped into the Big 12 at the right time. So Colorado's another one for me that just sort of sticks out. The results really haven't been there uh, across the board in men's basketball, but we've talked about this a little last week, that they're primed to have a really, really good year this year as well, or at least it looks like that on paper. So I'm really uh, – I think those three schools, at least to me, stand out. So I just wanted to also add on your Cincinnati point, Landon, that – yeah, like. 12, 15 years ago, Cincinnati was way more relevant of a program in the Big East than Villanova was. And that's just mm -hmm. kind of interesting to think about now. I, yeah. I think making the college football playoff has helped kind of cover up Cincinnati's shortcomings in men's basketball, but we'll see where they go with uh, Scott Satterfield and with uh, everything going to the Big 12. They're Matt and Landon. I'm Austin. We'll take one final break, wrap up the Corner 3 after this. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Not much time left here on the corner three, so we're going to turn to Major League Baseball. That's what's coming up next here on 93.7. The ticket on our airwaves, you will hear uh, the Royals and the Oakland Athletics. They've got a series coming up. Pre-game starts right at 8 o'clock here uh, on our airwaves. You'll still have uh, Heart of a Husker with the captain, Vershawn Jackson, on the stream. Simple question, guys. Landon, I'll start with you. We are, we are Royals fans. We are in this together. Um, Bobby Witt is fun. Is it enough to keep the Royals from uh, losing 110 games? 
Uh, I'm going to say yes. I think that the Royals, uh, we are right in the middle of our August heat up. So uh, <laughs> look out Major League Baseball because the Royals are about to rip, to rip off the most historic, meaningless seven or eight game winning streak the game has ever seen. I know that they had one at the beginning of the month, but I know another one is coming because that is how the Royals have been basically every year since 2015. And might I just say quickly too, that we as a people are starved for college basketball <laughs> because now we are in this lull of summer, all the foreign trips have winded down school is starting uh, college football is about to start we're f- so close we are a few months away but yeah this is where we're at in the summer but the series should be electric uh, between the royals and the a's two titans of the game i say royals lost two or three from the a's in may later in that week they they played the brewers matt do the royals avoid 110 losses i think so i think well, it depends on you know if bobby Webb junior plays the rest of this year if you know they shut him down or if he gets gets hurt or something but a healthy bobby witt who stays hot like yeah i why not avoid it like (laughs) he can't be that bad i've said that all year like it can't continually be this bad but honestly it seems like i've been seeing something about the royals on twitter like i mean they've been very entertaining in august lately like they've had some then that wild series with the mets i mean Mm -hmm. Gave the Cubs a couple fun games over the weekend at Wrigley. Like, I mean, they're they're being scrappy at least, but it's just, Could yeah, you? I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. But I, I am expecting more tomfoolery from uh, both the Royals and the A's in this in this series this week. I've, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. We all have. It's been circled on the calendar since May, like Landon said. Revenge. Free game comes your way in just a few minutes here on 93.7. The ticket for Sean Jackson, the captain, Heart of a Husker, comes your way on the stream. For Matt and Landon, I'm Austin. This has been The Corner 3. We'll talk to you next Monday at 7. Thanks for tuning in.